right, Dakota. <laughs> uh, hi, my name is Hayden. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. You all already did that. Um, but look at look at you guys. You're like church two two days in a weekend. I'm down. So you guys are like the righteous few here. I appreciate you. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I know that a lot of people are traveling and some people are sick. So for those of you that are out and about, hey, welcome. Um, my, my name's Hayden. I'm the high school director here um, at South. And I mean, I, I hope you guys did have a good Christmas. I hope you got to spend some time with family to celebrate Jesus. And I'm super glad you're here. On Christmas Eve, just the other day, we kind of wrapped up our Advent series. We'd been walking through the story of Matthew, of how Jesus came. And then starting next week, we're actually going to start a new series on our core values. But that means right in between, we've got this week with just no plan for it. And that's why I'm up here. Uh, Because (laughs) Ricky and Alex were like, Hayden, you're preaching on this day, and you can preach on whatever you want. Uh, So I was like, whatever I want. Okay, I'm going to pick the shortest chapter in the Bible. Um, and and uh, it, like, kinda, it was funny. It like, started as a joke. Um, and then, I don't know, I think Jesus like, wanted to humble me or something because I was like reading chapter 117 again. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Like, I, I think I actually am going to preach on this. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to read um, chapter 117 and, and just hopefully hear from the Spirit in these two verses. So let's read for a second again. We'll let it sink in because it is simple. It's short, um, but it's really profound and beautiful too. It says this, Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all people. For his love is faithful love. To us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. So this is a psalm. And most of the psalms are songs or poetry, and this one's no different. And that's why we see this kind of repetition going on here where it's like, praise the Lord, glorify him, hallelujah, which just means praise the Lord. So three times in two verses, it says praise God in some way. And repetition, it it gets stuck in our heads, and it becomes the main thing that we take with us to remember. That's why like the most catchiest songs repeat over and over and over again. You find yourself singing them constantly because of that repetition. So let's just name it in this one. What's the repetition that's happening here in, in this psalm? Yeah, yeah, praise God. <laughs> Pretty simple. So there you go, church. Praise God. You're sent. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but praising God, it is, it's repeated three times in only two verses and in every line except for one line of the poem. So in this case, we actually see this repetition is working in two different ways. It's first, it's using that repetition to show that like praising God should be great. There should be a lot of praise given to God. But then it's also pointing our attention, it's drawing our attention to that one line that's different. So that's just like a little Bible tool that you can stick in your Bible tool belt um, as you're reading. And if you start to notice some repetition, you can kind of ask two questions. 
What are, what are the repeated lines that are the same? What are they doing that's the same? What are they doing that's different? And then how do they interact with the lines that don't have that repetition? And once we start to answer those questions, we can dive into just two verses and realize, oh my goodness, there is a lot going on here. So that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to ask, that's where we're going to start at least. We're going to ask those two questions and um, hopefully uncover a little bit of what's going on here. So the first question that we're going to ask is, what are those three lines doing that all sound the same? So as we look at them individually, we see the beginning of verse 1 that says, praise the Lord, all nations. So if you're from India, praise God. Like if you're from Rome, praise God. If you're from Greece, praise God. If you're from Iowa, okay, come on. You guys all saw that coming, right? We make fun of Iowa enough. But even, yes, even Iowa, yes, you should praise God too. Um, but, but now looking at the second part, we have glorify him all peoples. So, you know, people is like an ethnic group. It's something more distinct than an actual nation. So not only just if you're from a nation, but also if you have your own culture that's kind of inside that nation, you should also be praising God. So when we put these two pictures together in verse 1, it's basically saying everyone, no matter where you were born, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your culture, everyone should praise God. And can we just like, can we just sit with that picture for a second? Um, because I, I think many of us here at South Lincoln, we are used to worshiping God in our own way. We kind of have our own culture, and that's, that's normal. Like, that's, that's where we're from, so we're used to that. But right here, in the, in the middle chapter of the Bible, we're, we're given this image of every single culture in the entire world all praising God, the ones that are really similar to ours and, and the ones that are basically different from us in every single way. They're all praising God. Just, just like take a second to imagine that picture of the whole world, every culture, praising God in their own way. I think it's, it, it like takes my breath away to think about like such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And, and in this tiny psalm, God's showing us that he can take all of our human division, because that's what we divide most about, right, is where you're from and who you are and how you act. He can take all of that and unite it under his name. Make it the most amazing thing you've ever seen. God can take all these cultures and like put them together like some beautiful mosaic. That's so cool. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, oh, all right, I've been to church my whole life. I know that God saves and loves people from all around the world. I've been singing that since kindergarten. Um, but remember, the, this is a Jewish poem. So it, it's actually a part of this, this bigger section that starts in Psalm 113 and ends in Psalm 118. And it's all one big song that Jewish people would have sang together during celebrations uh, like Passover. Because if, if you sing it all together from 113 to 118, it's this song declaring that Israel knows that their God loves them and that he cares for them because he saved them from Egypt. He saved them from literal slavery. So they have a moment in time to point to and say, this is how we know that our God is real. This is how we know he's powerful because he has saved us. And so they sing this song as they're celebrating to remind themselves that God's real and to, and to declare his praise. And so then it makes you ask this question, 
If this whole song is about God's love for Israel, then why in this part would that matter to every nation and all peoples, right? So then that, that leads us to our second question. We saw how these repeated lines work the same. Now we'll see about that other one. So let's read song, or verse two. For his faithful love to us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. So how does this second verse fit in here? Why are all people of all nations to praise God? Well, it says for or because his faithful love to us is great and his faithfulness endures forever. So when we put this together, we get something that sounds like everyone, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, should praise God. And, and it's happening because when we said it in that whole song section, because God's rescuing and redeeming of Israel from slavery in Egypt, that's how God began to demonstrate his love and his faithfulness to all people, not just Israel. It's actually in their story of redemption that God's showing the whole world what his love and faithfulness looks like. And then he invites everyone to come be a part of it. So now maybe you're thinking, all right, Psalm 117, writer person, whoever you are, that's easy for you to say because God has shown you his faithful love. But what about me? And I'm going to answer that question, um, but in order that, to answer that in the best possible way, let me show you something. We've got a picture here. Um, this is actually a graph. Yeah. Come on. You guys like graphs? <laughs> You're not nerds like me? Okay. Well, this is a graph. Um, and basically, this is a graph of the entire Old Testament if it were just using the word loyal love. So that word right here that we see, like faithful love, it's the Hebrew word hesed. And if the whole Old Testament was just that word, it'd be this big. So we see it happens in 11 times in Genesis, 12 times in 2 Samuel, 10 times in Chronicles, 127 times in the Psalms, 11 times in Proverbs. Basically, every single Old Testament book has this word loyal love in it somewhere. So it's really important. And then it asks, makes you ask the question, well, what, why is that word so important? And that's what this, this gold line right here is all about. It's the key story for loyal love and why it's so important. And that happens in Exodus 34, 6. So we have that um, on the screen. It says this, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses. So Moses was meeting with the Lord on the top of Mount Sinai. And this is what the Lord descended and did. And it said, he stood there with Moses as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violations of his sin, or violations of his law and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, seeing the punishment of the fathers to the, uh, to the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So hopefully, maybe in this story, you're starting to see why the loyal love is so important. It's because it's, it's part of God's own name that he declares of himself. He passes by Moses and says, this is my name and loyal love and faithfulness is a part of it. 
And that's really important because in the middle of this story, God was making a covenant with Israel. And when we think of a covenant, we think of like an agreement between two parties, right? Like I'm going to hold up my end and then they're going to hold up our end and we're going to make this agreement. It's a covenant. But for God to make this covenant with Israel and then proclaim, this is my name of loyal love and faithfulness, what he's showing is that his love for Israel isn't conditional on if they uphold their side of the bargain or not. It's just based on his character. It's just who he is. God's end of the covenant is always upheld to be loving, and that can't be affected by Israel's failure. God makes tons of promises in the Old Testament, things that he promises that he will do. But we see here that that promise, it's, it's not based on anything other than his own character. Those promises are going to happen because they're, they're just based on his own power, his own character. He promises to defeat evil. He promises to make a great multi-ethnic family and to establish a kingdom of justice and goodness. And those promises are not conditional, even if Israel massively fails and is unfaithful to God. And of course, that, that's exactly what the rest of the Old Testament shows us, right? So think about this. We got another slide here. Um, bam. So this is the same graph, but now with some different highlighted moments. These are all the times that Israel just specifically ruined those promises on their end, that they did not upheld, uh, uphold their side of the covenant. So God promises a family to Abraham. Abraham sleeps with his slave. God promises to be their people, that they should worship him. They immediately make a different God and worship that. Um, God promises a kingdom. David's dethroned by his own son. God promises a nation. Israel goes into civil war. And then they're, they're sent into exile because their sin is so great that God's like, hey, if this is what you want, fine. Like, I'll let you have it. So oh, we see all these promises that God makes to Israel, and then Israel like specifically messes them all up. And that's how God's chosen people treat him. They don't trust God to fulfill his promises, so they take matters into their own hands. And yet, in the middle of all that, look at the graph. God's loyal love continues and persists in the middle of Israel's constant unfaithfulness. His love is everywhere. And even in that end, where they're in exile, God says, I'm still going to be loyally loving there. Israel's worshiping all these foreign gods. So in love, God says, if that's what you really want to choose, then I'm not going to stop you from choosing that. He's like a parent in pain. He says, okay, Israel, if you want to be like everyone else, that's fine. I'll let you be like everyone else. In fact, I will let you be everyone else. If you want to live like you're not my chosen people, that's fine. You don't have to be my chosen people. I'll let you live in exile. And maybe that seems harsh, to us, but we, we know that that really is loving. You know, God doesn't force Israel to worship him. And, and if he did, that would just make them hate him. You know, we hate people that force us to try to do things for them. So he lets them have what they choose. But even in the middle of that exile, God's still loving and faithful because he opens the mouths of people called prophets and reminds Israel 
that God's still working, that God has a plan, that he's not abandoning them, and, and he's leaving them without mystery and confusion. He said, like, this is the specific ways we just saw in Christmas Eve, all these specific ways that Jesus was going to come rescue the people. And so he's like, this isn't just some, like, ethereal plan. I have an actual plan that you can look forward to, even though you're in exile right now. So why can the psalmist talk about God's loyal love and his enduring faithfulness as a reason to praise him? It's because he knows that that really is who God is. God said to Israel, my name is loyal love and faithfulness. And then he proved it over and over again in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness and rebellion against him. So now let's go back to that thought that we asked earlier, okay, psalm writer, you've seen, you've seen God be loyal and faithfully loving to you, and you claim that that's a reason for everyone, all nations and peoples, to praise God, but why should I? Because I have not experienced his love like that, and I, I don't think that God's faithful to me in the ways that he's faithful to you. And I, I totally understand why you would be thinking that. Um, but I, I want to have you consider one thing that I hope will allow you to see how loyally loving and faithful God actually is to you. So turn to Romans 5, 8. Um, if you have a Bible and want to turn there, we've got it on the screen too. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't ask us to just believe that he loves you on his word alone. He actually demonstrates it. He shows it to you on the cross. All those things that Israel did to directly rebel against God, God didn't hold them against him. He actually, he held them. He held that sin. He bore it on himself and he carried it outside of the city and he died with it there that all that sin would never enter the city gates ever again. He personally fulfilled his end of the covenant and he fulfilled their end of the covenant by becoming one of us and being faithful to it himself. He made good on his promises. But okay, okay, so what about me? Well, let me show you another timeline. So I want you to imagine that this timeline is my life. And um, I, I'm going to show you this because I think some people could be thinking as I'm up here, like, okay, Hayden, like, it's fine for you to say that because, like, you know, you, you work at a church and you're, like, in this such a good place um, spiritually or whatever. But I want to show you how God's loyal love and faithfulness has gone in my life. And it's going to get pretty personal. Um, but I, I want to share these things with you because I, I'm not just trying to show you that like I'm a garbage person apart from Jesus, um, but hopefully to, to give you just an actual, a personal witness that, that can help you believe that God really is so loving and faithful to you, to show you his love and faithfulness from my own experience and why you can believe that he really does love you no matter what. So again, imagine that this timeline is my life. So about here, we'll say, I vandalized some of my neighbor's property to such a degree that I got arrested for it. 
Um, so that's what happened to right about there in middle school. And remember, I, I, was, I grew up in the church, so this isn't like, oh, ignorant little Hayden. No, I, like, I knew. I knew it was bad. I, I was doing bad things and like intentionally knew that God wasn't happy with it, too. So then right about here, I started cheating on my high school girlfriend, and my friends found out about it because they found some texts that I was sending to another girl. And so they confronted me about it. And about here or so, I realized that I was addicted to pornography. And I cried out to God, and I begged him to save me from it. And he did. He was faithful to save me from that addiction. But even then, I continued to rebel against God in other ways. And about here or so, I met a woman who told me that she was engaged, but that her fiance was away for the night. And so we decided to take advantage of that night. And I went to her house, and and we had sex. So all of that is on my timeline. And guys, I hate, I hate that I did all those things. I know that I was grieving God in every single one. And I know that I hurt a lot of people. And I know that it still affects me and it still affects them. And it probably affects us all in ways that are greater than I can even really understand. And honestly, all that stuff, that's just like kind of some of the big ones. But I mean, this timeline's full. It's full of lies that I've told. It's full of nasty things I've done, ways that I've, I've just hurt people over and over again and been unfaithful to God. So I don't want anyone to get the idea that like I'm up here because I'm just like all put together and especially good person, because it's actually the opposite. I'm sharing all this with you so that when you do see godliness or righteousness in my life, there's no mistake that it's only because of God's loyal love and faithfulness working in my life. That's how I know that God's character is true in what he says, that he really is loyally loving and faithful toward us, because the only thing that I deserve for my life is judgment and punishment and death. But somehow, God's love and grace is so great. His love is so loyal. He's so faithful to his promises that instead of judging and punishing and rightly handing me over to a sentence of death, he died on the cross for my forgiveness instead. Instead of giving us the judgment that we deserve, Jesus gives us mercy. And instead of the punishment we deserve, Jesus gives us grace. And instead of the death that we deserve, Jesus gives us his very life. Romans 5, 6 says it like this. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I was helpless to sin. I gave in as far as a person can give in to sin. I had no way out. And most of the time, honestly, I wasn't even looking for a way out. I was helpless. But at that time, Christ died 
for the ungodly. When Jesus died on the cross, he saw this whole timeline. He saw how ungodly we would all be, and he still died and forgave us. I'm no longer a slave to sin, and it's all because of Jesus. And that's why I tell you this, to hopefully direct your attention to just how loving and faithful God still is, to show you why I am also convinced of what it says in Romans 8.38, that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you've never believed that, I hope you'll believe it today. There is nothing that you've ever done, nothing on your timeline that will make God be unfaithful to his promises. Part of God's own name for himself is his loyal love and faithfulness to you. And that is just who he is. We can't change it in anything that we've done. It's not just some feeling that God has about you. His love, it's real. It's, it's tangible. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't want Israel to be slaves in Egypt, so he physically rescued them. But more than that, God doesn't want us to be slaves to sin and to death, so he came and died that we might be truly free. In Jesus, God demonstrates that his loyal love toward you isn't based on you at all. It's just his character to be loyally loving and faithful. So come to Jesus today. Lay your sin and your timeline before him. Allow him to set you free because it doesn't matter if it feels like it's way too big. Your sin is too big. His love is so much greater. He'll forgive you and he'll give you freedom if you ask. But then just like Israel in the exile, he's also, he's loyally loving to not allow us to come to him if that's what we want. He's not going to force us If you'd rather just continue on in sin, even if it seems so small, you can can choose exile, just like the Israelites did. And and God, he'll he'll allow you to live that life. He's not going to force you to come to him. He will allow you to decide that because his covenant toward us, it's, it's totally fulfilled on his side. He came all the way, but he's not going to make us come to him. But maybe, hopefully, as you're hearing this about God's loyal love, you do want to come to him, knowing that apart from Jesus' forgiveness, you're also helpless and enslaved to sin. Well, that's, that's the beautiful fact that God is not just loving, but that he's also enduringly faithful. If you do want to know God's love for yourself, you can No matter how much you've rebelled against him, if you ask him to forgive you, he will. Jesus already proved that he loves you faithfully regardless of anything you've done by dying on the cross while you were still sinning. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, everyone the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never drive away. The one who comes to me, I will never drive away 
drive away. So come to Jesus in belief today, and he will forgive you, and not just forgive you, he will never drive you away. And if you have believed in Jesus, and you've received his forgiveness, but maybe you feel like you're still kind of carrying around your own sin, like like a burden of shame, I, I want to remind you of some more truth in Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. If you're carrying away a weight of sin on your shoulders, know that that's an illusion that the enemy is trying to give you because Christ has already carried that sin outside of the city and died with it there, and he leaves it there in the grave when you have faith in him. There's no condemnation. We are reconciled. We have reconciliation to God. He welcomes you with open arms and says, you're my child and nothing can be said, nothing can be done to change that. And that is why all people can praise him. That's why all nations can praise him because of what he's done for Israel, because what he's done is save all people who come to him, save them from their sin. And so that's why we can praise God this morning, and we're going to do that. The band's going to come back up. Ginny and Haley are going to come back up right now, and we're going to continue to sing some songs of praise because Jesus didn't just come to save Israel from slavery. He's calling everyone, no matter where you're from, no matter your nation, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, he's calling you to himself. He's working in every single place to save us from slavery to sin. And with every person, with every person that believes on Jesus, his mosaic of love is made even that more beautiful. It's that much greater. With every sin that people lay down before him, God's power and glory is shown to be that much bigger. It's that much more powerful to save. It can save even that sin. That's why we confess these things. That's why we say them, because it shows how great and loving and loyal and faithful God is. And that's a reason to praise him. So let's do it. We have a God who is faithful and loving, and that's not dependent on us in any sort of way. But it's just, it's inherent in his nature. It's who he is. His love, it's inexhaustible. And we get to know the depth of his love toward us for all time when we put our faith in Jesus. So let's stand and let's sing praise to our God.